0: The topography has totally changed, everything has changed on the earth. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry.
1: And I'm Janice.
0: And this is Bible Discovery TV taking you through the Bible the 32nd time. This is a very exciting time. And we are looking at the global flood today because over the weekend we were doing all of the first part of Genesis. Now we're in Genesis 9. So it's going to be interesting. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey?
2: Well, I'm going to be talking about the writing and the authorship of the Old Testament. Ryan?
3: Today I'm going to be talking with my friend Bodie Hodge about Noah's flood. Very good.
0: Look forward to that. Janice?
1: Today, my segment is called, The Beauty of God's Promises.
0: Okay, God's promises are beautiful, and hopefully you can understand what the Word is saying, so go open up your Bible guide. Our new Bible guide has come to you, and open up to it and turn to this particular passage. It's Genesis chapter 9, the first several verses. Let's hear what God is saying.
1: Genesis 9, verses 1 through 17. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me And you, and every living creature of all flesh, the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through
0: 17. Genesis chapter 6 through 9 is our reading on this first day of the year in which we broadcast the program on Monday. And let me tell you something, it is great. Now, we need to understand that it is said that the Bible is the most influential book you will ever read. In fact, it is the oldest complete book from history that we now have. Some of the quotes from the Bible are actually a part of culture and our conversations on a daily basis. For example, the phrase, the writing on the wall actually comes from the book of Daniel and is used in conversation today to show something that was expected to happen or predicted. By the skin of your teeth is another example from the book of Job. It is used to describe how you barely escaped trouble. Many sayings like these are from all parts of the Bible. One of the most culturally relevant signs in the Bible is the rainbow. It is taken from the Bible. Now, in our modern day, its original biblical meaning has been removed. But the rainbow is a sign specifically used to show peace between God, the earth, and a promise made for God never to send a global flood as it was in the days of Noah. In today's reading, we learn the origin of the rainbow and its context. In fact, its true context as we focus on this now thank you for joining us and being a part of this today take the bible guide if you have it if you don't have the bible guide you know what i'm going to ask why not write to us and call us or you can go to biblediscoverytv.com and click on the page and uh, thank you for your donations we really appreciate that Uh, It'll take you to a download page where you can actually download the Bible guide. But the most important book of all that you will ever have for your entire life, in fact, for eternity, is the Bible. That is the Word of God. Now today, we're going to be talking about the rainbow. We're going to look at it in chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. Father, help us today as we explore this idea. Where did the rainbow come from and what does it mean? Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we all said together, amen and amen. Now listen carefully because we need to understand exactly what the rainbow means. We're celebrating Genesis chapter 9. So Genesis chapter 9 says in verse 1, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be, this is important, on every beast of the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air and on all that moves on the earth. And all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be for food for you. That I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. Now, this is something we need to understand. After the global flood, and it was global, God allows meat for man to eat. Man did not eat meat before the flood. There is a reason why animals now have a fear of man, beloved. We need to understand this, and we need to realize that man's, or the fear of man by animals is not natural, but it is a result of sin. So let's keep that in context. And today we can tame certain animals and make friends with them, but there is a reason for that. They were not originally set up to be eaten. Now that's fascinating, okay? And I'm not making a comment here post on On vegetarianism or not, I'm just saying that's how it used to be. Today is different. Genesis 9, chapter or chapter 9, verse 4. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. Did you hear what he said? God said, Surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning from every hand. Of every beast, God requires that of the animals, I will require it, and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man's blood shall be shed. his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God, he created man. And for you, as for you, be fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Now, this is very important. Listen carefully. God reveals to Noah, the only man alive and his sons, the eight people, the sanctity of life. God reveals to Noah the sanctity of life. We must always, Always, always honor and respect life. You know, there are many people who do not. And it is unfortunate. But when you become a Christian, when you invite Jesus Christ into your life to take control, God changes our direction. And we begin to gather the idea and understanding that God is the one who created life. It wasn't an accident over time it wasn't you know over billions of years god created life and when we understand that when we know that when we trust what god's word says and get it then that changes everything doesn't it very interesting now chapter 8 through 17 then god spoke to noah and his sons with him saying here comes the rainbow as for me behold i establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you it's a covenant and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out in the dark out of the ark, every beast in the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you. Here it is. And every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations, in other words, forever, I set my rainbow in the cloud. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you. And every living creature of all flesh, the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Brings me to the last point. The rainbow is God's covenant sign he made with man and animals, not to flood the earth again. Beloved, we must always acknowledge God's signs and covenants we must always acknowledge God's signs and God's covenants, always.
2: Now, while there are many things that we could talk about historically here in the first few chapters of Genesis, because this is our first official program of the year, I wanted to take a look at the writing of the Old Testament as a whole. You know, this is where we begin. We're beginning in Genesis to kick off the year, and Genesis is the first book of the Old Testament of the Bible. So you and I are going to be looking into some of the Bible's claims about who wrote it and and who uh, put it together. There are a lot of theories that we'll talk about afterwards, but first let's take a look at the Bible's claims. Much debate surrounds exactly how, when, and where the Old Testament of the Bible was written. So much debate that we've often failed to take into account what the Bible itself claims, that it was written and edited by a succession of prophets of God. The Bible records that there were many true prophets throughout its history, and even many writing prophets. It's notable then that not all of these texts or prophets' works were included in Scripture, only that which was specially recognized as authoritative. The first author and editor of Scripture was the prophet Moses, who is said to have written a copy of the Law on stone tablets and placed it in the Ark of the Covenant that was kept in the Tabernacle, and later the Temple of Solomon. Moses also wrote a copy on a scroll and stored that beside the Ark of the Covenant. Next, Moses' understudy and successor Joshua is said to have added to this book of the law. After Joshua, the prophet and judge Samuel is also said to have written and placed his writings in that same tabernacle. This signals Samuel's importance, pointing to his authoritative role in continuing the work begun by Moses and Joshua. At this time when Israel began to follow a king instead of a prophet, an unusual boom in prophecy also began with Samuel at its helm. Samuel is seen leading a group of prophets, which many take as evidence of a type of mentorship program for prophets. This unusual move of God may have been a response to the people's move away from God-inspired political leadership. And many believe this established the succession of prophets that we read about in the books of Kings and Chronicles, called the Sons of the Prophets. And apparently, there was also a recorded register of tried-and-true prophets of God. This register included Jeremiah, who wrote his books and is believed to have compiled the books of kings as we have them today. The final supposed writing and scripture editing prophet of God seems to have been Ezra, the priest and scribe, who is credited with writing Ezra, Nehemiah, and compiling the books of Chronicles. So while we didn't get into the authorship of Genesis in particular, the traditional view is that it was Moses who compiled Genesis. Now, there are a lot of theories today that are thrown around and and even some of them widely accepted on the authorship of the Old Testament and on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible specifically. Uh, But the really, when it comes right down to the wire, we don't know exactly who wrote the first five books of the Bible, with the physical author that penned it down in its final form. We know that it was edited throughout You know, the generations. There is evidence that place names were updated and things of that nature, as different cities change names, as they change ownerships and languages change. Uh, But how would this early history be passed on to someone like Moses? who would write it down many years ago, many, many years after the fact. Well, there's a few theories about that too, two of them being oral tradition, so stories that were passed on orally and also uh, like family genealogies and lineages being written down and passed on as well. These are two very viable and probable theories on how a lot of this information made their way down to Moses.
0: I think it's interesting to remember that uh, what happens is we were more sophisticated sophisticated, and then we sinned, and we became less sophisticated through time. So uh, the oral tradition would have emerged stronger. Back in the day,
2: well, and I don't even know that it's that's necessary because uh, you know there are historians who today have looked at societies that still have a very strong oral tradition, and because our society doesn't have strong oral tradition, we are very heavy on writing things down and recording things. Um, the human brain when it is raised in a tradition where you are memorizing and you are passing on. uh, There have been actual studies done by scholars on this that it is a very accurate method of passing on histories
3: and traditions.
0: Very interesting. Excellent. Ryan?
3: Yeah, well, I decided to start the new year off with a bang and to do that I'm going to be sharing with you some personal interviews that I recently had with my friends at Answers in Genesis. And since their ministry is all about Genesis and its importance to the rest of Scripture and the Gospel, I thought it would be fitting to run these interviews while we're reading through the book of Genesis over the next two weeks. Now, the bad news is that these clips are only parts of the much longer interviews. But the good news is that we've made every minute of them available on this DVD set called A World by Design, The Niagara Conference, which has just recently been released. And we'll talk about that a little bit after. But for now, I wanna play you part of my interview with Bodhi Hodge, who's a speaker, writer, and researcher for Answers in Genesis. And in this clip, I ask him about Noah's flood, which of course we read about in today's assigned Bible reading. So join me as we jump into the conversation already in progress. Okay, well, let's talk about the third sea of history, catastrophe. And now you've written this book uh, with Ken Ham mm-hmm. uh, called the, A Flood of Evidence. Mm-hmm. And in it, I found it interesting, the first chapter, you have a Bill Nye quote here. And he says this, uh, that there was a flood 4,000 years ago is not provable. In fact, the evidence for me, at least as a reasonable man, is overwhelming that it couldn't possibly have happened. There's no evidence for it. Now, how do you respond to something like that?
4: Well, there's a couple of problems in there, obviously, with with Bill Nye on his assessment of that. Uh, The world is full of flood sediment. Uh, What he's doing is he's ignoring that. Uh, We have somewhere in the neighborhood of 168 million cubic kilometers of flood sediment. That's about uh, 168 million cubic miles of flood sediment all around the world. The majority of this are the fossil layers that were laid down during the flood of Noah's day. But see, from his perspective, he's rejected the Bible. He's already rejected the flood out of hand, so he's using His naturalistic viewpoint to say that it's naturalism and that there's no catastrophe of the the flood Uh, because he's assumed those rock layers are evidence of slow gradual accumulations over millions of years so he's not seeing it because he's not looking at the right thing but yeah that flood sediment that's what it is the majority of the fossil layers whether it's dinosaurs Uh, in their trilobites, whatever it might be. The majority of that is from the flood of Noah's day. But I wanna point out one other thing. He said him as a reasonable man. Now, Bill Nye is an atheist. He'll claim to be an agnostic, but everything he does, he argues for an atheistic worldview. And an atheistic worldview is a materialistic worldview. They say everything that exists is material. Anything that's non-material doesn't exist. That's why God can't exist in that viewpoint, because God is spirit and they deny a spiritual realm. But here's the problem then. For him, in his worldview, his professed worldview, if he was consistent, then why would reason exist? Why would logic exist? In his own professed worldview, those things should not exist, because they're not material. You can't go trip on a law of logic, for example. Oh boy, I stubbed my toe on this law of logic. Um, You you run into that problem. So it's interesting that he has to give up his his professed worldview to say that he's a reasonable man, uh, in that he's really, what he's doing, is he's stepping over, borrowing from a biblical worldview, because we can make sense of logic and reason because we're made in the image of a logic reasoning God. So that's uh, kind of an interesting little side note uh, to
3: his particular quote there. And many of the people who reject the flood here on earth also, also accept a global flood or near global flood on Mars. Isn't that correct? Well, there's a lot of people that
4: are open to a massive catastrophic flood, whether it's a global flood or something close to it on Mars, uh, many secularists are okay with that. Mm-hmm. They do not want to have a global flood here on Earth because it destroys the idea of millions of years. Those rock layers, if they're evidence of slow, gradual accumulations over millions of years and you have a global flood, the global flood's going to tear up those rock layers essentially lay down new ones. So all of a sudden you don't have any evidence of millions of years if you have a global flood. So in the secular world, because they must have millions of years, they have to reject a global flood. I mean, I don't see evolutionists come up to me and say, you know, everything evolved from a single celled organism about 6,000 years ago. I mean, that would almost be ludicrous. They have to have the millions of years just to even be able to propose the idea of millions of years, or sorry, the, the idea of uh, evolution. So those are actually interconnected with each other. Sometimes people don't realize millions of years evolution, big bang, those are all interconnected with each other uh, as as different strands of the same core of evolutionary ideas. So that's one of the big problems in the secular world. You can't have that global flood or it destroys uh, their idea of millions of years which essentially obliterates their entire view.
3: So I really hope that you enjoyed the interview because Bodhi will be joining us again tomorrow to talk about the Tower of Babel event that's recorded in Genesis 11. But in the meantime, if you want to hear the full conversation between me and Bodhi, as well as others like molecular geneticist Dr. Georgia Apertem, Calvin Smith, and others, they are available on this interview set called A World by Design, the Niagara Conference, which are interviews that I conducted at a recent creation conference in Niagara Falls.
0: I really enjoyed that. That was an excellent conference and very good. Make sure you get the DVD if you want to, or get it online at our website, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Janice?
1: Well, I titled this The Beauty of God's Promises because this book that we teach, and Congratulations and welcome. If this is the first time you're viewing Bible discovery, this is our first official program for January, 2022. So welcome. We go through the Bible in a year. This is our 32nd year going through the Bible and the beauty of God's promises. You know, God's word is full of promises and full of signs that he's given. And in this dark world that's full of sin and and things that are so very confusing, God's promises are beautiful and they are. full in here and in this chapter that we read today uh, God gives Noah a covenant and a promise, and he sets a sign in the sky of a rainbow, a beautiful rainbow. And I can only imagine what Noah and his family thought when they saw this sign up in the sky, knowing that it was God's covenant, that whenever we saw it, whenever God sees it, that he promises never to flood the world, to destroy the world again with water. What a beautiful sign. So let's not be fooled. Sometimes the signs that we see or that we hear about have been changed to a new cultural or worldview? And how will we know if it's God's promise or someone else's promise unless we know the Word of God? So that's why I say congratulations if this is the first time you you have decided to join us and go through the Bible with us so that we can learn together what's what God's Word promises for us. So we need to know God's Word, we need to know what He said, and what he has promised. He is our hope. He is our salvation. And as I said, this book is full of promises that God has given to you. He's given to me. He has sent his son. And we're gonna read through this and there are signs and types that we're gonna learn along with you this year as we journey through. So Ryan and Corey, Rod and myself and our staff, we welcome you and thank you for joining us today.
0: And thank you to our partners as well who have been uh, faithful in your giving and all of that. We are just so delighted uh, that we can continue to go forward because our partners have been faithful, people who give to us on a regular monthly basis Thank you so much for that and it means very much to us. And we'll talk more about that in the next few programs. Uh, Right now, let's get back to the program. prayer meeting is on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 Eastern Time, or that's New York Time, and we are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Bible Discovery TV. We'd love to see you. Come by and let's pray together. Today, let's pray, Lord, please help me to know your way and to be obedient and follow your path for my life. I need you today, Lord. Help me to do that. In Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.